You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Life begins to happen when I plan something else, trying to be somebody. But all I got was someone else, and my plans always changing, always rearranging. No, oh, slow it down, release control. So instead, he let me know that begins to happen when I plan something else, trying to be somebody. But all I got was someone else, and my plans always changing, always rearranging. No, oh, slow it down, release control. So instead, he let Welcome to Kensington Church. I'm really glad that you're here for today's service. 
I'm Sam Frangioni, our arts director at the Orient Campus, and although you'll never find me sipping a pumpkin spice latte and Uggs, I'm more of a salted caramel cream cold brew kind of guy, there are lots of things I do love about fall. I'm a fan of pumpkin patches, cider mills, Friday night lights, and the relaunching of many things happening around Kensington. I have two exciting fall happenings coming at you. Consider this your personal invitation. First is man camp. I've attended Kensington's men retreat for three years now. And trust me, this is something that you want to prioritize. Man camp is for every man in every walk of life. That means you. You are invited and you should come for so many reasons. Zip lining, sports, fishing, kayaking, eating, great music, breakout sessions, and more. We're calling it man camp because we've been thinking about how a base camp is a place of preparation for a great trek or exploration ahead. It's a place to be inspired, challenged, and reminded that the journey we're on isn't one that we're on alone, but that God is with us and that we have a brotherhood of men walking alongside us too. In years past, we've seen that a single weekend is long enough for monumental decisions to be made, friendships to be built, and legacies to be transformed. So don't miss it. Join us at Spring Hill Camps, October 8th to the 10th. Info and registration at kensingtonchurch.org slash mancamp. Hope to see you there. The second invitation is for parents, particularly parents of little ones. We have two kids at home, and when you get the chance to take in some helpful content, you take it, especially when it's free. We have a free online faith and the family event happening tonight called Raising Littles. You've probably heard the saying that the years are short and that the days are long with young children. I can definitely vouch that the days are long, but perspective is important. These long days often can leave us exhausted and wondering how we could possibly create meaningful moments to teach them about Jesus. Please join us tonight for a time of encouragement as we align ourselves with God and make room for him to speak into these chaotic days. This event is hosted by our very own Taylor Leal, our early childhood director at the Troy campus, with guest panelists who will share practical ways to bring Jesus into our parenting and to intentionally train little hearts. Register now at kensingtonchurch.org slash faith and family. Let's return now to our service. I believe God has something in store for each one of us. We're in the third week of our I Feel series and focusing on feeling conflicted. That's a feeling that I can definitely identify with, that internal wrestling and sometimes even indecision. Let's lean in and see what God has for us today. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Kensington. Good morning. Good morning, Kensington Online. We're super grateful that you're here with us, kicking off this fall season. Absolutely. And, and that first song uh, captured where we're going today in this service. So I want you to think for a moment, have, have you or are you now been in a place where you're waiting on God, trusting for something you know or believe he's promised he's going to do, but the waiting is hard? And at times you're tempted to t take matters into your own hands. When I think about that question, I've been there so many times in my life. And sometimes I've made the right decision, sometimes I've made the wrong decision. But we're going to look at a story in the Bible today where someone was conflicted, which is what we're talking about. And the choice is trust God or take matters into my own hands. But anyhow, um, so this is a weird shirt to wear. And I don't know if, if you know what it might represent, but Sonia's going to tell you what this shirt represents. What is this? It is our church's anniversary today. 15 years ago. It was actually um, September 24th in 2006 that we launched this church. And you'll see some pictures up on the screen. Our first place of meeting was the JPAC Center, as we called it. We were there for many years until God provided this building for us. You can see a peek inside of the auditorium. That wasn't one of our services. That's part of the team 
that was putting this together. Um, we actually had, actually, you got to stop there for a moment. In the yellow shirt, that's Sandy Buckner, who's still here. And in the back in the green is her husband, Steve, still faithfully serving all these years later. You might recognize some other people in that picture. Um, there's Terry, who was doing coffee 15 years ago. He still helps out. Here's Terry right here. And actually, Terry, this is also the 31st anniversary of Big K. Kensington launched 31 years ago, and Terry was there on opening day as well. And so we, we decided Terry's outlasted all the pastors. We're going to make him honorary pastor <laughs> uh, of Kensington. But... Um, <laughs> All right, and then just a couple more pictures. Uh, that's the, you can see the shirt, still wearing, I'm there in the front of the picture with the shirt on. Uh, that's Tracy, who was head of guest services, and now she's our director of discipleship. And there's Sonia, she was head of Treasure Island, now called K-Kids, now she's our campus director. And this is very depressing. That's me, opening day with my son, who's now six foot four. So there's been a lot of growth, uh, both in the <laughs> church and in my family as well. But anyhow, we just want to take a moment and say, God, aren't you good? Haven't yes. you blessed us? We believe there's 15 more years and 15 more years coming. So, so uh, we got a couple of really important things coming uh, up. Why don't you tell us about it? We do. We have a, a great opportunity, honestly, for, um, ours, for us to house McCrest guests in our building. So we have done this for many, many years. We have housed them at, before we had our own building, we would rent a facility to house um, for our guests of McCrest, which is homeless people from our county. And so we get the great opportunity of bringing them into our home, our church, and to feed them and give them a, a warm place to sleep some friendly conversation. It's really a great opportunity for our church to house these families. Um, this is the first time that we've ever done the entire family. We've always had women and children. This year we get um, the whole family. So we're taking in men, women, and children. It's a great opportunity, you guys. We could not do this without volunteers. There's 250 volunteer spots for us to do this. It's a great great feat, but it's an amazing opportunity that we get to do this. So we need your help. If you can come out to the lobby and sign up at the, the wood wall, we would, um, we would just, it would be just what our church is meant to be, is yeah. support in our community. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, you know, 12, 13 years of working with homeless in New York City has changed my life. And so there's also your own journey, your own experience. I think you will find Interacting, connecting with people that are in their darkest moment can be life-changing for you. So please, after you're done, go out in the lobby. And there's something else in the lobby, too, we want them to do. Oh, yeah. There's the hub. So if you have any questions or if you're new or if you've been here for 15 years, the hub is to answer any questions that you have. Um, we, we just have so many opportunities here. There's grief share. I mean, like, the, it's just endless, the opportunities that we have for you. So if you have any questions, you hear, have a stirring in your heart, go out to the hub. We'd love to engage. Yeah, we'd love you to connect at a deeper level. So please take advantage of that. And if you're watching online, we're probably not too far away. So go ahead and drive over, come to the hub, grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, we'll greet you. That would, that would be great. So, um, so we have um, an opportunity now. that We've been talking about Afghanistan for a few weeks. And we would love um, for you to take a next step now. We're not asking for money now. We, you are so generous that we've now, literally it's in the thousands of people now whose lives were at threat who have been able to get out of the country safely. And they're settling all over the world. But some of them are coming to the United States. And some of them are coming to our community. And so Becky Lee, who holds up our move out, what we call our move out um, enterprise, our, our expressions of moving out into our community, 
was able to connect with an organization called Samaritas, and what they do is they help refugees coming into our community to get settled in and to feel at home. And so we're partnering with them. We already had someone from our church that was had on his own went out and found this organization and already volunteered to work with them. Well, he's going to head up our move-out team, helping with Afghanis coming to our community and get settled. And so we're looking for volunteers, groups of people, actually, that will come alongside of a family and help them from everything about getting groceries to setting up health care to just having conversations and making them feel welcome. And so we really would love for you to consider doing this. Uh, one of the other cool parts of the story is that um, they told us one of the things we need are translators. Do you know anybody that speaks Farsi? And we said, well, actually, we do. We have someone in our move-out um, work that we do that actually speaks Farsi. So we're now helping translate for these families coming in. But here's the action step for you today. Um, you'll see up on the screen some information about a meeting that we're going to have. It's a Zoom meeting. There's no obligation. If you just want to listen in and see, is God stirring your heart? To join a group of people, you wouldn't do this alone on your own, a group of people that would come alongside of a family to help them. So you can see the information, you just go to kensingtonchurch.org slash move out, and there'll be information about Afghanistan, and it's in October, so you have a couple weeks to think and pray about it, but we would really love for you to get engaged in that. Now, before we do a greeting here and move, continue with our service, we want to talk about another kind of greeting that's going to happen right after the service. Yes, yeah, so if you are new here, we, are, we decided to... Um, hold an opportunity for you to come and meet us and to ask your questions and to get to know the staff here at Clinton Township. So um, we will be meeting after the service in the great room. If you'd like to come join us, if you have some questions or um, just opportunities for us to, to help you engage in um, Kensington and all the things that are going on around here, we would love to meet with you at the great room. And yeah, the great room that. is in that corner of the lobby as you leave. You look for people with orange shirts on. We'll be there to greet you and answer your questions and tell you a little bit more about how you can get connected at Kensington. All right, so before we do that, though, before we continue, as we consider the idea of being conflicted and how God comes up and shows up in our lives, we want you to do a greeting right now. So if you'd stand up, say hi to somebody, be friendly, greet them. Tell a story if my life could sing a song, if I have a testimony, if I have anything at all, no one never cares me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all this way. 
And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found my joy was found let my children tell their children oh let this be the memory
Man, there's a part of me that just wants to be quiet. <laughs> Don't you feel that way right now? Like, just let that wash over us. Um, you know, of all the words Erica just beautifully shared with us, um, the thought that I had when, when, she, when she sang, when I'm old and gray, I said, well, that's kind of me now. <laughs> but, but it's the look back, right? Like, I can, I can the, lo- the longer I live, the more I can look back at, at the good times, but especially the hard times where sometimes it didn't feel like I was being loved very deeply. And then over time you see where he, God shows up and you know he's there and he's faithful. It's, it's that ability to look back and recall and remember. So I hope you can do that this morning if you're in a hard time right now where you're not sure you're being loved that well or he, you can trust God or he cares for you and just to know that the story is being written and you're in it right now. And that's what I hope happens in the message today is that you look at a time, season in your life, maybe right now that you're in where you're not sure you can trust God and to see through the, the, the eyes of someone who went through a difficult experience, God's goodness and faithfulness, and it, it, we can translate that into our lives. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to step into the, today into, I think, one of the most difficult times in one of the most beloved characters in the Bible, David. David was a real person with ups and downs and successes and failures, but he finds himself in the story where we're going to intersect him today in a 15-year drought, a period, well, it wasn't all drought, but it was a period where things were not going well. He was not getting the answer to prayer. God was not showing himself to be faithful, and he endured this. But as we read the Psalms, which were recorded during this time, many of them were written during this time, Psalms of David, really, as I said last week, kind of his journal where he would pour out to God. You see times where he's saying, God, I know you're there. You're my rock. You're my fortress. My salvation is you. Just like the words of this song, my eyes are only on you. You're enough. You're everything. And then he would write, where are you? You're not listening. Nothing's happening. Do you care about me? Are you really going to show up? And so I think to say that David was conflicted um, would be an understatement. We see the conflict as he expresses himself through the Psalms. So as you know, and as David experienced, waiting is hard. This morning in our circle of volunteers that we do at 8.30, we get together and and we, we pray together. We celebrated as someone that had been unemployed during the pandemic, and it was been almost 18 months, and finally got a job yesterday. And so what is that waiting period like when we're waiting on God? And sometimes, um, I don't know about you, but I get tired of waiting. I'm not a very patient person, and so I'm, I'm just going to make something happen. God, I'm sure this is what you want me to do. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands, especially for me. It's especially true when I feel there's some injustice. Someone's not doing something they should do. It's just not right. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come alongside God and help him out here a little bit. Just give everything, you know, a little bit of a nudge to get things resolved. And so maybe that's you today. I, I hope it's not, but I know life, what life is like. And so many of you here are listening online. That's how you feel today. You're trying to trust God. You're tempted maybe to take some action that maybe isn't the best, but like kind of who would blame you? You know, it's just time now. And so before we jump into that, so that's kind of my teaser trailer for the show, the big show that's coming. We're going to take our offering right now. I don't want this to feel like a commercial, though, because this is really an act of worship where we give to God part of what he's blessed us with so that we can do the work, kingdom work of Jesus. And so if Kensington is your church, we encourage you to take this moment now, um, either online, uh, you can give through your app or you can go to their website. You can do it later today. You can do it anytime this week. If you're here, we do have a place in the back as you leave to leave a check. But again, this is the work of God and this is worshiping God and we're grateful for your partnership with us. So, so David, 
if you know the story, David in the Old Testament, there was a king named Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And then Saul messed up and God said, it's time for a new king. And so David has now been anointed, chosen, elected by God. There wasn't a vote then. God elected David to be the king, but Saul wasn't having any of it. And so he was actively hunting David down, chasing him across the country from side to side, up and down, north and south, east and west, to kill him. Because this is the heir and Saul does not want to give up his power. And so now David is in a place of waiting for God to fulfill what he has promised him, that he would be king. He's also surrounded by a group of fierce warriors, at least 600 men, some of whom are actually named in the Bible, who were going to help David out. And they were chomping at the bit. And they felt like they could take this by force. They could assassinate Saul. They wanted to take an active role in making David king and seeing it come true because he was God's anointed, God's chosen vessel. And so we're going to look at a story today. This is a crazy story. It's one of those incredible stories in the Bible where you're kind of like going, really? Could Could a person actually do this? Because opportunity now presents itself to David to take matters into his own hand. He can actually fix this. Remember now, 15 years. Think about what you were doing 15 years ago. Well, actually, we just said it. So think about waiting that long for the promise of God. He's anointed David. He's been chosen, and you're waiting. Well, Saul finds out that David is in in the desert called En Gedi. En Gedi was on the western shore of the the, uh, Dead Sea, and the terrain was pockmarked with all these caves, some little, some absolutely massive big caves you can still see to this day. And so Saul hears that this is where David is, so he gathers 3,000, an army of 3,000 to go after David to seek him out with only one thing in mind, and that is he's going to kill him. Now, it turns out Dave was in one of these massive caves. Um, I just called him Dave. I think I should call him David. (laughs) When it came out of my mouth, I couldn't believe, yeah, Dave and I are kind of buddies, you know. We go way back. So David, David is in the cave with all 600 of his men, as far as we know. Imagine how big this cave must be, just massive. And they're, they're, they're in their hiding, and Saul has made this journey to get there. And when he gets there, um, I don't know how to say this delicately, but um, he had too much lemonade on the trip, okay? So he's got to find a private place to take care of business. And it's funny because when we look at the stories of the Bible, I always want people to use their imagination. Like, these are my words, but try to picture what's going on, but don't picture too much here in this case. But here he is. He comes into the cave to, to take care of business. And it actually turns out to be the cave that David is in. And he's in the back in the dark in hiding. And Saul is here now with his sword laid down totally vulnerable, could this be God's provision? And so, so his men that are there see this happens, and, and they begin to advise him, and here's what they say. They say, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So let's go kill him. That's what they're basically saying. Oh, finally! I think they were tired of living in caves themselves. They knew there was a palace waiting for them, you know, rewards waiting for them. And so they just want to push it now and get it done. They saw this as God's uh, provision. This is God. Take his life. Fifteen years is a long time. Let's get the job done. And in fact, these are words that David wrote from one of the caves. He says, listen to my cry. He's talking to God. He writes this out. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. How can you write that and then have your enemy who's trying to kill you 
exposed in the cave, vulnerable, and you not say, this is my answer to prayer. I sure would have seen it that way. I still struggle to think what David must have been thinking. How did he not see this as an opportunity? This is God's answer to his prayer. And so here's what David does. Then David crept up unnoticed. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. It's like, really? You're the Goliath killer. Remember that song that was sung? Saul has slain his thousands and David is 10,000. You're a mighty warrior. You got a sword. He's right there. He, if the role was reversed, he'd put that sword through you so quickly because that's why he came. And you cut off a corner of his robe? You idiot. That's, that's what his advisors were saying to him. So I'm going to be one of his advisors, my friend Dave. <laughs> what an idiot. I can't believe you. this is what you're doing. You cut off a corner of his robe. And then we're told that Saul left unharmed, went back out to join the rest of his men, not knowing what had just happened, not knowing that the sword was right there in David's hand, and he didn't kill him. Now, how is David feeling about what just happened? Well, I'm going to just give you the part of the next verse you can see, and then we're going to fill in the blank. Afterward, David was, I would say, filled with regret, wished he missed an opportunity. I think I should have done that. Now I'm going to keep running. What was I thinking? That's what you might think, David was saying, but no. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. <laughs> really? He, and then he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing. Even cutting off his robe. This is the king. This is God's. Right now, he's still king. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, because he's still king. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and, they, and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Um, the language that's actually used there in the Hebrew where, where it says that he, um, he did not allow them, it says he restrained them. I almost see a fight breaking out there. Like they got the swords drawn. Saul's still right there. He's just left the cave. And David's standing in front of them saying, no, you're not going to get past me. This is the Lord's anointing. You're not going to do this thing. It's like Amazing. I mean, if I stopped, I mean, if I just stopped there, I think, like, looking at my own life, just like, I'm so far from that. Like, I, that's not what I would have been thinking and holding them back. I would have even have said, well, God, I don't want to kill him, but I can't control 600 men, so, and just let him go. But he's actually, he's now protecting Saul from what the men want to do. So the story continues now, and now there's a conversation that's going to happen between David and Saul, and I want you to lean into this conversation so he comes out when Saul is walking away. Can you picture it? Saul's got his sword back up now. He's feeling pretty good because he just took care of business and he's going back to his men. And he hears a voice behind him. And he turns. And it's David. And picture David's sword in one hand and a little piece of Saul's robe in the other hand as evidence of what had just happened. He says, I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. Because Saul is coming after him. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not in, the, in the wrong here. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. Here's the key to this whole story. May the Lord. You know, the song that, that Erica sang, said, she talked about surrender. You're my life. I've given it all to you. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. He can do it. I'm not going to do it. 
My hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you because I'm not an evildoer. I'm a God follower. Even though this is hard, even though it's 15 years, even though I'm tired, even though I doubt sometimes, and I wonder if God's even listening, when, when the opportunity comes, I'm going to choose to trust. I, to say that Saul's jaw, jaw must have dropped, he sees, he sees the corner of his robe. He knows that the sword cut that instead of into him. So he has a lucid moment. It didn't last, by the way, because we're not going to go there today, but he continues to chase David. But for this moment, here's what he says. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my family's father, which is typically what happened when new kings came in, not in Israel, because they're new at this, but the neighboring nations, this is how it worked. The new president comes, he gets rid of everybody else. Kills them, literally. So David gave his oath to Saul. Did he owe him any promise? I mean, this is so extraordinary. Again, just trying to get into the heart of this man, the character. He owes him nothing. He doesn't kill him. He also gives him an oath that I'm going to care for your family. So Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Wow. As I said, I, I read this story, I think about this story, and I think, really? There was a man like this that could go to this place and do this? Going back to the statement, if we can just see it again, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. I want to kind of live in this verse for just a moment, these words of David, because I think, what if the rest of my life, when temptation came, when there was a detour, when I could take opportunity to do something, cut corners, like not corner of a row, but you know what I mean, cut corners, and do things to get the job done, that instead something would well up inside of me saying, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing. Because this would be not trusting, not walking with God, not following his path. Being conflicted, and you know, I'm trying to think about what some of that might be in your life. It could be related to a relationship or a job. You know, I think over the years, one of the hardest things I've encountered as a pastor is people who are single who want to get married and the spouse isn't coming along. And there's lots of ways to cut corners there and to keep trusting God. It can be so hard to wait on God and not make bad decisions in that place. I think even in areas of employment and work where there's integrity issues, where if you do this, you might lose your job, so you don't. And it's just, this is the stuff of life where we find ourselves. Following the path of God is not always easy. It's not always the easiest thing to do in the moment. But, but here's what I, I believe with all my heart. These become defining moments for us. They can become defining moments. I mean, think about David. We're talking about this story all these thousands of years later because he inspires us of someone who learned in the most difficult of circumstances to trust God and to surrender his own plans to him and to wait and the day will come for David when it's all resolved, but is, there's more time he has to wait. It can be so hard. You know, I was, trying, I was thinking about some things in my life. Um, most of the ones are, are, are pretty small, but there was a big one years ago, and this, this could have defined my life very differently. I had a, a friend that we had entered into a partnership together, and we were friends, and you could have just shake, shake hands on it, but we decided because money was involved, let's get a, something written up official and we did that and then filed it away never think you're ever going to need to look at it well 
Um, he decided to walk away from that and violate everything that we had agreed on. And it was extremely hurtful. But he's my friend. So I, I started writing to him. This is before email. And, you know, tried to call. It was before cell phones. <laughs> so got to catch him home, right? Or get the answer machine. Remember answer machines? Um, sent a letter. Got a pretty unkind response back. Sent another letter. Another unkind response back. And so then as a brother in Christ, they started to go to Scripture um, because what he did along the way was he said, I think you need to um, get in, talk to your attorney. Like I have an attorney. Who has an attorney? Some of you do. I've never needed an attorney. Like, yeah, I'm going to call my attorney here. So I said, so then I, I wrote him back and I said, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians, it's actually a whole section where it says we should not take each other to court. Um, and what the Corinthians in the first century were suing each other, I guess, for whatever reason. And here they are preaching a, re- a message of reconciliation that we can be reconciled to God, but we can't be reconciled with each other. We've got to go to court. So there's a phrase in there that says, actually, it would be better to be wronged than to go to court against your brother. So I sent that verse to him and said, let's not go down this path. And the response I got back was, I'm not going to talk to you. Our attorneys can talk. It was so, so painful. So I got an attorney. And the attorney looked into everything, looked at the legal document, and he said, you have a case. You're going to have to sue him. What do I do? I have a case. It's injustice. I'm in my right. And by the way, I'm not saying that there's never a time where you don't have to go down this path. Here's what I did. I told the lawyer to write it all up, show where the case was, send it to this guy's attorney. Kind of like... Um, rattling the saber a little bit. Maybe this will compel him to do the right thing. And I got just the nastiest response back. And so my attorney said, okay, let's, let's go ahead and sue him. And he sent me some papers. And I have the papers and I'm looking at them. I got a pen. It's easy to sign, send. God, where are you in this? And this dragged on for quite a while. I've been waiting no resolution. And it, by this point, it really didn't become about the money. I didn't need the money. It was this relationship. This person's doing wrong. It's for his good. And then I began to justify <laughs> all the reasons why I ought to go ahead and go to court with this guy. And I look back at it, and I'm not saying I'm David at all. I don't know. Like, it was hard for me in my memory to go back and think, what, what in the end compelled me? But there was a sense of the Lord forbid that I do this thing. This is not right. And I don't know how that would have affected if I had done it because I, I told my attorney he thought I was crazy. I said, no, I'm just walking away. I'm just going to walk away from it. And I did. And I don't have any regrets about that. I think if I had taken matters into my own hand and told God, I, I think I need to assist you here. I know what you wrote in 1 Corinthians through Paul, but you don't understand the situation. This is bad. I gotta take if I had done that. And this is small potatoes compared to the king of Israel being hunted down to be killed when God has anointed him. And so I want us to look at David's story and say, can we trust God? Whatever circumstance in your life you might be in right now, where you're tired of waiting, there's maybe an opportunity for you to solve this, to fix it. In fact, I want to go back. Um, Why was David, you know, why was David able to hang on to this? So let's go back just a little bit when he was anointed king and, and just peek into this story. So David, again, um, Samuel the prophet told um, 
stated that there was a new king and it was going to come from the family of Jesse. So Jesse got all of his sons together. Samuel shows up. None of the sons were the right ones. So, so Jesse now, this is in 1 Samuel 16. He sent for David and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Kind of reminds me of me a little bit when I look in the mirror. I told you David and I were like this. Anyhow, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. David's in the room. He hears this. He hears the prophet, who's a pretty big deal, say, this is him. This is the one. He's the anointed. He's going to be king. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came over, came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went on to Ramah. So David heard it. He heard, you are the anointed. You are going to be the king. Done, signed, signed, sealed, delivered. Only not delivered yet for 15 years. But David had to go back to that moment because he called him. Saul was in first the Lord's anointed. Until Saul's out of the way, I'm going to honor him as king even though he's trying to kill me. And so David, it would seem, from looking at this story, and this is what I want to share for, for you uh, for now as we go into application of this. Like some of you might be saying, well, that's an interesting story, Craig, from way long ago. What does this mean for me? Two things that I, just in my study the last week or two, um, because I'm in a period of trusting God again for stuff that I'm not sure of what's coming and what I should be doing and, and opportunities are coming and should I do this or should I do that? And I'm trying to wait, wait on the Lord and trust him. And this has been, I love it when I'm preparing a message that I need because if none of you showed up, I would stand up here and still preach it because this is what I need. And so I'm asking myself, do I believe this? Two things that I think this story tells us. The first is this, God's promises can be trusted. He said, you're the anointed. He said, you're the king. 15 years later, that's still true. God's promises can be trusted. David, again, his journals, he wrote these while he was in the caves. And so let's peek into his brain and his heart. He says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Do you know in, the, in that little phrase, I think it's nine or ten times, he says God or he or him. So when he's wrestling with this and he's weary of this and tired of the whole thing, and he's got a sword in his hand and he's got his enemy right in front of him, where did his mind, where was he able to go? To God, to him, to he, the one he can depend on, the one who will not be shaken, the one who is his rock and his salvation. And then he says to us, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And so I'm saying to you right now, if you're in this place of trying to trust and trying to hold on and you're tired of waiting and it's getting harder and harder and you're tempted to go all kinds of directions, the exhortation from David to us today, to me today, is pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. While we wait, he is our refuge. He's the place that we trust. And so when I begin to doubt God's promises, and my heart may question, and if you read my journal, you'll see a lot of those entries as well. Can I be a man that says, but God forbid I do this, I'm going to trust him. David prayed along the way. In fact, another short psalm in Psalm 57, he wrote this from the cave as well. He said, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his promise to me. Wait, what did he say? God who fulfills his promise to me. God who fulfills his promise to us. So can we cry out to him? And by the way, the crying out is an honest crying out. It's not a flowerly prayer that everything is good. 
It's not pretending, putting on a happy face. Like we said last week, it's not, don't worry, be happy. It's saying to God, but saying it to him and remembering that he is the one that you can trust because he's made a promise. So the first thing we learn from David's story here is that God's promises can be trusted. The second is similar, but it's this, God's timing can be trusted because that's where I get it. I'll trust God for a day or a week or a month, but man, if it drags on, it gets harder and harder to trust. Man, are you doing anything? Do you hear me? Do you care? But here's what David wrote again. Again, this comes from his heart and his mind. We get a peek into what was going on during this period for him. He says, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And then see this phrase? My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. And eventually, key word, eventually he did. But there's all the time that went by, in his case, almost 15 years of waiting. And I hope whatever it is you might be facing right now, that it's not a 15-year thing. Some of you might be in 20 years of it. I don't know. But can we trust him? Can we trust his timing? That he is at work. I mean, I think the reason why Saul was chasing David is because Saul had evil intent in his heart. But was maybe God working in David's heart through this bad circumstance that made him the king that he became? during those years? Did that not shape and form him? And so he trusted him. He trusted him with everything. So for all of us that might maybe feel conflicted today, trying to wait on God, trying not to be impulsive and make things happen, I want to finish with one short phrase again from David from the Psalms. This is a prayer, my prayer for me and for each of us today. Psalm 31, 24, he says, be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. God, help us to put our hope in you. I pray for that, that person today that feels this message was for them because you are speaking to him or to her directly, that they will be strong and take heart as they put their hope in you, as they navigate the difficult situation in their hand, that they won't be weary. They won't take the sword and make things happen. They will set the sword down. They will cast their eyes to you and put their trust in you. I pray that for me as well today. In your name, amen.
Put my faith in Jesus. 
bridge talks about putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. And I really hope that you don't miss this, that this isn't just something that you come and check off a box and do on a Sunday because it's convenient or because it's something that you grew up doing. But I feel like I truly relate to um, what Craig was talking about today. And I hope that you can listen to that message and pull out what God is speaking to you as well. And that you don't miss the point of putting your trust and your hope in Jesus. He is the only solid rock. He is the only one that can anchor you. He's the only one that can keep you still. He's the only one that can give you peace. It's not something that you can strive for. It's not something that you can conjure up or create on your own. But it's something that he gives to us. And I just pray that you would open up your heart and be willing, whatever place that you're in, whether you're in the middle of a decision or trying to figure out, God, what is it? What is this next step? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What are you saying? I'll be the first to say that I'm one of the ones that loves to take matters into my own hands. I think I do a pretty good job. I love being in control. But I know that God says, I have a better plan for you. There's a verse in the Bible in Jeremiah 29, 11, It says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. He has a plan for hope and a future. And that's the plan that God has for you today. And so we're going to sing this bridge again. And I want you, if you can, if you believe that and you're in this place, to stand with us and sing this as we talk about putting our faith and our hope in Jesus and knowing that our anchor is going to be rooted and grounded in who he is because he has plans for us, plan for a future, plan for hope, and plan for good things. So let's sing that together. Yeah, I'll put one voice, I'll put my faith in
to the setting same my will praise your name even when it's hard from the rising sun to the setting same my will praise your name even when i think i know best from the rising sun to the setting same my will praise your name cause great is your faithfulness to me it's um quite a journey we've been on together today we started with the song that reminded us of the difficulty of waiting and the temptation to take matters into our own hands and we ended with the faithfulness of Jesus. You know, um, when we, whenever I sing, I'm mindful that, you know, to, to, about Jesus, I'm mindful that he's not up some distant place in heaven listening. He's here, right here. Jesus, you're right here, right now with us. And so here's, a, here's what I want to take with you as you walk out the door. Um, so right now, whatever's going on in your life, whatever the struggle is, whatever the waiting that you might be in right now, as you get ready to leave, he's right here. He's going to lean over, put his arm around you, and he's going to whisper something in your ear. And here's what he's going to whisper. He's going to whisper, how about I go with you? Like, you don't just come here to meet Jesus. He is here. But as you walk out that door and get into your car and go into whatever you're going into, he's with us all the time, our rock and our salvation, the one who is faithful. I hope you experience, I experience his faithfulness this week. As you leave, don't forget if you're new, and we're defining new as, uh, we haven't done this gathering for uh, really 18 months at least, and so anytime in the last couple of years you've joined us, please, here, join us in the great room after. Um, and actually, we're not gonna look at your ID as you enter. So if you've been here 10 years and you wanna come hang out, please come, we'd love to hang out with you. God bless, uh, we'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.